Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Hey, everybody. I'm Andy Richter. Uh, this is the three questions with Andy Richter. So yeah, that's me. Uh, I'm the host. And today I'm talking to another host and I'm excited to talk to her. It's Rachel Maddow. She's a brilliant writer, political commentator, television news host. She hosts the Rachel Maddow show on MSNBC every Monday night, as if I needed to tell you. And her new book, which is fantastic, prequel, An American Fight Against Fascism, is out today. So go get one from your local independent bookseller. I spoke with Rachel via Zoom back in September, and here is my conversation with her. Can't you tell my love Rachel, first thing uh, that I have to uh, thank you for is for giving, and this is such a buttering up, giving like a reason to be excited about Monday. <laughs> like now that you're on, I mean, I miss you not being on more days, but it is, it's like, oh, it's Monday, which, you know, there's like one aspect of, you know, it usually isn't until like four o'clock, five o'clock that I start, oh, it's Monday and, and Rachel will be on. It's like when I moved to New England, I decided I needed a winter hobby. So uh-huh. I'd get excited about the oncoming cold. <laughs> so I started ice fishing. So then, like, as soon as we started having nights well below zero, yeah, it would get me yeah. all excited because my hobby is coming. Yeah. So it's yeah. the same sort of thing. I'm trying to I'm trying to make Mondays a make Mondays a good thing. It was kind of an accident that I ended up on Mondays, but I actually I think it's kind of great. I love it. How is it an accident? In what way? Because I mean, being on television, this is always the stuff. I'm like, how did it end up there? You know, like it's interesting to me. It was a, it was, I want, I don't want to say bumbling because I don't want to make yeah. it sound bad. I want to, I don't want a derogatory term. But when I first started talking with MSNBC about like reimagining what I'm doing and approaching it in a different way, a bunch of people at MSNBC suggested from the very beginning, oh, you should do a weekly show. And I was like, I definitely don't want to do a weekly show because that's like a magazine and like a digest of what's happened in the past week. And people who do that already are really good at it. I don't think I can compete. That's not the way my brain works. I don't want to do yeah. it. I said no, but then it emerged that there was kind of a different way to think about it, that I could just do my regular show and just pick a night and it could still be my regular show and I didn't have to digest the whole week and it didn't have to be on a Friday night. It didn't have to be on the weekend. It could be any time and I could do the show. And it turns out, I think Monday is the best night to do it because I can just cover the day's news. And if it was a particularly slow news day, 
I can dip into what happened over the weekend without it seeming too weird. So yeah. it's just a regular Rachel Maddow show. It's just Monday is the best night to do it. I think. I, I think th- that's I think works. so too because it is in in that kind of news business and in the in the you know the the cable news business, cable primetime news. Um, it it does the content does drop off on the weekend because mm-hmm. the news isn't being made that much on the weekend. But there's still enough happening that, like you say. It's it, you're 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 back to like full production of news content on Monday. Well, but I also feel like when people turn on the on cable news, uh, like in prime time on a weeknight, they want to know what's going on in the news. They don't yeah. necessarily want to hear like somebody's reflections on what's going on in our times. Right, right. And yeah. occasionally you have to do a little bit of that. But if something has happened in the news that day, you expect to be updated on it and get some right, perspective right. on it. So I don't. I didn't want to abandon that part of the job because that's. I mean, that's a big part of it, explaining what happened in the news today and why it yeah. matters or why it doesn't. That's right. the gig. So right, I want right, to still right. I want to still do that. Yeah. And absolutely. Because and it's like you said, you get to and I mean, what and what you do so well is just the granularity of what you do. You know, you pick a wrinkle and you spread it out and show us how it reflects the entire picture. And mm-hmm. it's you can't do that in a magazine. You know, you got you got too much stuff to hit on, you know? Yeah, and it's also, it would be a little bit, I, f- I feel like it'd be a little bit weird because on MSNBC, we don't really do the big magazine format, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. It's, just, it's kind of the news all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I want to be, I want to be not too dissimilar from what my colleagues are doing because I don't want to be um, <laughs> essentially calling on us to develop a whole new set of skills. Yeah. who wants to do that when you're old and tired? <laughs> oh, my God. Tell me about it. <laughs> This podcast, this podcast, it's just because I'm already a bullshitter. So it's like I can just continue doing that in a different format. Um, One thing that I always think about, and like I said, as somebody that works in television, I always think about because, and you mentioned about sort of the MSNBC shows being very about what's happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what's happening isn't enough for all of the shows. You know what I mean? Like, it's like (laughs) on a slow day, you can tune in at 11 and then you tune in at two and it's kind of like, oh, still on this? And what do you, is there some sort of, like, do you guys give each other tips on how to handle that? Or is there like a network philosophy on how to, because you have to do a show, you know, and it has to be entertaining because it's television. It just... You need to yeah. catch eyes and you catch eyes by being entertaining. And I don't even say that I'm an entertainer. I think, you know, I, I say that as like, no, that's that's a that's saying you're working, you know, like you're really working to get people's attention. Yeah. But what do you guys do when the kind of the day's a little light or there's, you know, you've already kind of gone over stuff? Well, there's a, f- a few different things about that. I mean, one is like this is a this is a great problem to have. Like Joe yeah. Biden got elected president. Yes. And he all but explicitly <laughs> promised when yes. he got elected president, it's going to get boring. Mm-hmm. Get ready, America. Yeah. This is go- we're going back to actually 
sanely running the country in yep. a kind of professional way that's yep. predictable and out loud. Yes. And so, you know, stuff will happen Monday to Friday, nine to five. Prepare yeah. to get more sleep. Like that's so, <laughs> I'm not, it's, a, it's a great thing. Like we're not having the death of the Republic being threatened every Thursday at four in the morning. Like it just, yeah. oh, that's good. That's good. So that's one thing. I'm, on the other hand, um, you know, it does create, <laughs> boring does create its challenges for making television. It's a little bit of a blessing on a day when the news isn't moving that fast and there isn't that much going on because it does give you a chance to leave the beaten path, do something else. I know you've all heard about the showdown sure. over the defense bill or whatever it is, but did you also notice this unusual thing happening in South Carolina that I haven't had time to talk to you about because we've had yeah. other pressing stuff? So it gives you a little, as long as you're reading widely, I think the key is to make sure you're reading all the time more than what you need for that day so that you've just got better peripheral vision about things that are going on that might not be immediately into on today's show or in today's news cycle, but you know that they're important enough to be watching them. And when you have that opportunity to bring something up because the news cycle is self-explanatory, then you know where to go. You've already done the baseline work and you know why it's important. At, at a very practical level, I, I mean, in primetime at least, I know that at least on my show, we check in like, oh, what's what's Chris doing at eight or who's hosting at eight and, and what are they doing? What's Lawrence doing at 10? Just to make sure that, you know, if, if Chris is ending with a 12 minute segment on what's happening in Tahrir Square, I'm not yeah. opening with a 20 minute segment on what's happening in Tahrir Square. Like maybe right. move those things around. But it's just it's just sort of accommodation rather than it is um, coordination. Yeah. And it does seem like there is a a very collegial atmosphere. So it's, yeah. you know, so you guys do cooperate as opposed to compete, basically, which I could see that situation existing. I treasure that. Yeah. Yes, I treasure that. I could see that yeah. easily happening on another network of like, I'm going to beat the guy before me or the person after me, you know. Or I want to make sure that I undercut whatever point that person is making or that. I mean, the yeah, yeah, yeah. the collegial atmosphere among the hosts and among the like executive producers and all the staff and stuff is this rare, beautiful, priceless thing that yeah. unless you've worked in television or in a newsroom, it's really hard to explain how important that is. But when you don't have that, when people are fighting and trying to undercut each other, when you're in like a gossipy environment, it it's hell. Like, I just yeah. hate it. And yeah. um, MSNBC is a is in a really good space in that regard. And I mean, I credit the leadership or whatever, but I but I also credit like there's a, there's an effort being made to preserve that because I yes. think we all know how precious it is. It's terrible when it's when it's not there. Right. And and you you can give props to the people in charge because they're doing the hiring, and mm -hmm. that's where the rubber meets the road in terms of morale and mm -hmm. you know and and uh, joie de vivre or what no i esprit de corps that's one of those french terms uh, <laughs> coup d'etat <laughs> yes yes <laughs> well there you know there's a comedy version of that which is working on a show where all the comedy writers are working towards the greater good of the show or working on a comedy show and they exist out there where all the writers are broken off into little into little groups feverishly writing, trying to undercut other people to get their stuff on the air. And those shows are already, they start out unfunny because mm -hmm. they start out in a, in a, an air of competition and fear. And that's not funny, you know, yes. it, you know, so. And it's, you know, it's, hi it's hiring. You're talking about like, how do you create the right environment there? It is hiring in terms of 
valuing that esprit de corps and that sort of generosity of spirit and that sort of self-confidence to not be a dick when you're yeah. when you're hiring people. But it's also firing. Like it also means when somebody is abusive, even if they're talented, if somebody is abusive and you know, creating a toxic environment around them, part of leadership is firing that person yeah. in order to protect the 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 atmosphere that's more important than any one talent, than any one producer, than any one writer, than any one person who's a, a cog in the machine if they're there messing it up. And that's that's a darker part of it. But I think that's true, too, that protecting people is part of your job as a as a leader. Yeah. And I've I've learned that like I don't I'm not I'm kind of a put my head down, close my door, like think by myself person. Mm-hmm. But I've learned that I've learned from the people who I work with about making sure that everybody kind of feels okay in the work environment. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do. And it's there's it's like a, a thing you don't do once. You have to do it all the time. You have to do it yes. every day and keep fixing it. It's it's very like sometimes mommy and daddy have to get mad. Like it's, it, it definitely has an aspect of that to it. Like it's like, yes, it's mostly about love and keeping us together. But sometimes, you know, yeah. daddy has to yell. If you hit your sister, bad yeah. things are going to happen to yes, you. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's all part of the job. Um, well, you are here today. I mean, aside from, you know, your deep abiding love for me uh, to uh, and I, I'm, I brought the book and I'm holding it up even though we're on Zoom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you do you think the title the the cover is too scary it's got a little it's got a little a little freaky factor on the uh, cover. listen i i am i'm glad you asked because when i got the copy of this i was uh, it's like it's like scary sexy this cover i oh, think scary it's scary sexy yeah yeah i think it's like kind of it does feel like ooh, this is gonna be you know this is this is gonna be like a thriller you know, mm-hmm. and it mm-hmm. is really it's a great book. I mean, oh, I don't know if you intended it to be a thriller, but it has a thriller kind of feel. And it it drew me to it as opposed to saying like this icon, this iconography is it's too Marxist. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't think I'm not thinking that I'm thinking like, oh, that looks cool. You know, scary, sexy is great. I think I think the, the fact that you can see kind of veiny bits in the guy's hands as they're shaking hands on the front. I think you're reacting to the veiny bits in the wrists. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I have an eagle fetish. Too. Oh, really? <laughs> Tell me more. Tell me a lot about that slowly. I love talons. <laughs> I can't get enough <laughs> talons. Um, well, tell me, oh, tell, uh, tell the people about the book. Uh, it is subtitled uh, "An American Fight Against Fascism." Yeah, so it's basically this idea that we got left a handy instruction manual by a previous generation in the United States about what to do when the American right wing gets really, really out there and dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, when they want to you know, get rid of democracy and throw out our system of government. And um, I feel like there's like i'm i'm not a historian i have a phd in political science which is adjacent but not the same thing and mm-hmm. i'm a journalist and do things in cable news but for me this history is not just like oh something happened in our history in this case right before world war 2 that has uncanny resonance with what we're going through now it's as the title says it's like a prequel it was it's there yeah. are americans who faced Something not exactly the same, but very similar to what we've got right now. And they had good ideas for how to deal with it. And it was really hard to deal with. And their right-wing crazies were really, really dangerous. 
and they un- they they fought them and undercut them and kind of battled them to a draw in in the advance of us joining World War II in a yeah. way that is, I think, uh, whatever the opposite of enervating is, it's energizing. Because C- I sometimes feel like our right in this, this sort of flirtation that we're having, this attraction that's happening on the right to getting rid of democracy, getting rid of elections, getting rid of our system of government, it's so scary and it can be so unsettling that our fellow Americans want to do that. I find it to be... Yeah. Like I said, energizing to know that other people did this too and other people had to fight it and they won. So it's it's about it's about that fight in the lead up to World War II. Do you think that because you kind of it, it was sort of implicit in what you in what you just said that kind of World War II interrupted that rise of fascism in this country specifically? In a way, although, I mean, part of what was going on with the American ultra-right in the lead up to World War II is that they were really energized and in some cases directly connected to the dictatorships rising in Europe that ended up starting World War II. And so, like, the the book, um, the chapter one of the book is the story of an American fascist guy who went on to become a very, very, very famous architect um, going to a Hitler youth rally in Potsdam um, and during the ascendance of Hitler and being so inspired. And then a little later on in the book, you realize he came back and tried to recreate a rally like that here in Chicago uh, in the 1930s, um, tried to found a party that was based on those principles um, and tried to draft a specific American governor into leading that kind of a uprising here. So, I mean, our 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 fascist leaning far right wing Americans in the lead up to World War II were sort of interrupted by World War II when it happened. I mean, he ultimately had to join the army once Pearl, once Pearl Harbor happened. But um, <laughs> darn but <I'm> not, it! <laughs> but I'm not sure that our fascists would have been the same had yeah. they not been connected to and inspired by those bad movements abroad. Yeah. And you know, and today, you know, our our ultra right wing. You know, we're not dealing with the Nazis. Then only the Nazis are the Nazis. There's no analogy there. But there uh-huh. there are some similarities. Like there is on the ultra right right now this weird worship of authoritarian foreign dictators. Like, and especially and specifically male maleness in general, too. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. Certainly. And uh, along with that, we've got like showy, kind of cartoonish, but also kind of scary armed right wing paramilitary groups. Mm-hmm. Right. They had that. We have that. Um, we've got, you know, the the targeting of minorities, including weird conspiracy theories that justify all sorts of crazy, t- crazy bad behavior and persecution yep. of minorities. Right. Um, denying election results, wanting to I- instead take power or hold power by force. They had to do all of that in the in the in the 30s, leading up to in the early 40s, leading up to us getting into World War II, just like we're having to do it now. Yeah. This brings up something that I often think about, uh, and it's not uh, the Roman Empire. Uh, if you if you're up on the <laughs> <laughs> the recent the recent memes, um, I often think about how it does kind of seem like there was a world movement towards fascism. There mm-hmm. was kind of after the inspiration that the American revolution is, you know, the inspiration that spread out throughout the world over the American, you know, enshrining democracy into a new power um, that spread a little bit. And then there seemed to be this sort of, you know, fascist, authoritarian, undemocratic movement happening 
uh, and it was a worldwide phenomenon. Yes. I could be talking about now, and it was a war that interrupted it. It was a war that made everyone go, well, uh, all right, it's now time to put up as opposing to shut up. And it's come to this. We now all have to the entire world needs to get into war. How are we going to avoid that now? Like, how is that not going to be the thing that snaps us out of this rightward turn as a planet? It's a it's actually a really good question. I think a really subtle question, too, because. Thank You're right. You. We do. There, no, it's 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 got everything in it too. I mean, we yeah, we had. You know, you've got it. You've got Mussolini marching on Rome. You've got the Italian fascist takeover. You've got Hitler taking over in Germany. You've got Franco in Spain. You've got you've got rising authoritarianism everywhere. Um, you know, France came very near to the to the same pattern. Right, um, right. And you know, it really, it really was everywhere. And those winds definitely blew through the United States, and we had a big fascist movement in this country that very much wanted that sort of thing for us too. And the re- the reason we had a war uh, against it is because Hitler turned out to be expansionist. He yeah. wanted to he wanted to blow through his borders, not just take back what he felt like had been wrongfully taken from them in World War 1, but he wanted to take all of Western Europe and then all of Europe and then all of the world. He had this view for a global Reich. And so that meant that countries who didn't want to fight a war, who, and nobody did after World War I, um, felt like they had been forced into it. And that was it. That was the only that was that was the only deciding factors that he was going to take over their country. And so and he was going to keep taking over more countries. And so somebody was going to stop him or it was going to be all of us. And, you know, I don't know that we'll face that dynamic again. Certainly, Mm-hmm. Seeing what Putin is doing with Ukraine is unsettling when you look at through look at it through that lens, and considering all the other places that he's invaded and tried to take bits of territory since he's been in power. But that wasn't the only way that it got defeat that fascism got defeated, right? The the other thing, like for what was happening for us here at home, it was a whole bunch of different things. You had criminal prosecutions of fascist groups that were obviously anything involved in violence is a crime. And mm-hmm. so all the violence part of it got got um, prosecuted. Also, when people were working with foreign dictators, foreign influence in certain ways is criminal, whether it's spying or treason or sedition or any of those things, Re- not registering as a foreign agent, right? We're back, yeah. to, we're back to that being prosecuted yeah, again. Yeah. <laughs> so criminal prosecutions matter. There was a lot of really good um, journalism um, people doing exposés of what was going on, trusting the American people that once they learned what these what the designs were of these groups, they'd turn against them. There were intrepid, freaking fantastic activist groups that yeah. infiltrated the worst groups and not only exposed what they were doing, but kind of um, messed with them. Like, um, not exactly agent provocateur, but they were people who got in there and, and screwed with what they were doing, sabotaged their plans. Um, and you also saw institutions stand up and do what they were supposed to do. You did see the political parties. The Republican Party had a real problem in particular with this um, in the in the North and the West. The Democratic Party had a real problem with this in the South, if you think about the timing. Um, yeah. And the party stood up and kind of self-regulated some of these people out. A lot of these guys lost, a lot of these, a lot of the worst people in Congress who supported the fascists were removed in party primaries. Uh, the military court-martialed some people. You saw the church crack down on fascist demagogues like Father Coughlin, who was mm-hmm. the biggest media influence of his time. So it's, it's sort of, yes, there had to be a war because there was a military element to what the fascists were doing. But there's all these other elements to what they were doing, too. And the ways to fight those 
are multivariate and, and require all sorts of different types of work. Yeah. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And it's your last chance to get more fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this limited-time bundle ends June 30th. Save now at cedarpoint.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Can't you tell my love's a girl? Something that I, I wanted to ask you about, because there, you know, we're talking about history and we're talking about the repetition of history, and the characters are very similar from one thing to the other. And there are definite villains in your book. Yeah. And you're a journalist. You have to maintain an impartiality, or you know, an, I mean, you're 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 beholden to the truth. Mm-hmm. And that's what's so weird now is that, like, that word is just so bent beyond any any recognition. But is it hard in these days to keep what you feel like your own sense of impartiality when we seem to be looking at the repetition of something that was so patently, demonstrably bad? I mean, that's kind of the blessing and the curse of writing about something like this topic, which is adjacent to World War II, because I feel like World War II is the closest thing we have to moral shorthand. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you don't it's have a to real explain. simple cartoon. That you, yes. It's easy to get. Yeah. How about Nazi equals bad? Can we start there? Yeah. We, we have to, we have to yes, argue yes, for that. Yes. Are we good? Right, yeah. right. And so you can go overboard with that, right? Like, and you shouldn't, you know, there's, there's nothing comparable to the Nazis except Nazis. Like, there really, yes. there isn't an analogy to be made there. But there's also... It's worth remembering that as bad and as clear-cut as that seems to us, there were a lot of Americans who thought if we were going to join World War II, we should be on their side, not on the other side. And so, like, right, let's just take that for what it is. really, really powerful rich ones, too. Yes, exactly. Rich ones, people in power, people in elected office, people with a lot of influence. Um, And so that is – you don't need an analogy. You know what I mean? You don't need to make – the moral case there, I think. I think you can, I think it's helpful to be able to say, you know, I think you can, if you, we can start from the assumption that the Nazis are bad, it is worth being factually accurate about the fact that America, there were Americans who wanted the Nazi side to win. And we should pay attention to what their tactics were, what they wanted for America, and what happened to them once we started fighting the Nazis. They didn't, yeah. they didn't dissolve. They didn't go, they didn't get raptured. Yeah. Um, they ended up forming the seeds for some of what would go on to be a continuing ultra-right, anti-democratic, authoritarian impulse in this country that we're still, you know, we're contending with a, a, a later generation of it. And yeah. so I, I, ju- I feel like the the danger, kind of the, the storytelling risk, the like his, historical risk is to um, impose what we know now 
on what those actors knew then or to say that something happening now is the exact same replay of what happened then. It's not. But yeah. it's better to know history than to not know. It and sure is. the people who went before us, if nothing else, if we can just learn how they lived their lives, we can see what they tried <laughs> and yeah. see if it worked and yeah. and learn from it. Like with the when I was mentioning the, you know, bringing prosecutions and stuff, it is hard to bring sedition, treason, you know, foreign influence, espionage um, prosecutions. They're difficult to do. The Justice Department, however, learns from the courts from the way that our legal system is set up. You learn from precedent. You establish precedent the way that you approached it before. Thinking about putting 19 Donald Trump associated defendants yeah. on trial in one courtroom with an inexperienced judge in Fulton County, Georgia. Well, maybe that's going to happen, or at least 17 of them. Maybe that's going to happen. We should learn what happened when they tried to put 20-something defendants on trial in the sedition case back in 1944. We can we can learn from it. It's not an exact analogy, but it is a precedent that should inform our decision-making now. Right. I think it also, too, there is something about the repetition of history that can be comforting. Just in the notion that because what's happening right now can feel and I mean right now you take pick a right now. I mean right now as a concept, not necessarily this date. You can you can feel like, oh, my God, we are in deeper than we've ever been. We are further out on a limb. The whole world feels tenuous. And then you kind of find out, I don't know, a few hundred years ago, it was probably worse. You know, yeah. like it was very <laughs> similar and probably worse. And you go, oh, OK, this is just the galumphing way that this particular kind of ape that we are gets through life, you know, and yeah. uh, being a society. So and and then the next step is and the people who galumphed through it before, how'd they do it? How yeah. did they how did they avoid the worst case scenario in right, that right. situation? And yeah. oftentimes, I think it's particularly when it when the, what's resonating with us is something equally bad or worse that happened in the past. The thing that we look up is the bad guy. Mm-hmm. And that's who the Wikipedia entry is about, right? Yeah. And that's who the that's who the books are about. Right. But what's harder to find and sometimes more interesting is okay. Well, who were the good guys who made sure that that didn't go as badly as it could? Um, and the good guys are often much more obscure. And I feel like that's the history that I'm kind of in love with right now is figuring out who all these badasses who w- were in in previous generations who 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 taught us how to be effective anti-fascists. Yeah, you know, since we're talking about you know, extrapolating from history, generalities or even, you know, truths about now. Do you think that the arc of history as I can't remember the exact Martin Luther King quote, but, you know, that it does kind of bend left, that it is kind of like less about uh, strong men saying this is how it's going to be and more about everybody deciding together? Or are we going to 100 years from now, look back on the, these liberal times as being just terrible, you know? I mean, it <laughs> yeah. feels like it always kind of gets more humanitarian. It does until it doesn't. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, that the idea of the, you know, arc of the moral universe bending toward justice, it's, yes. it's not an, it's certainly not an inevitability, I don't think. I yeah. even, I'm a religious person, but I still don't think that like God does that arc bending for us. Right. I believe that it bends toward justice because people work for justice, that yes. the arc of the moral universe needs bending. <laughs> um, yeah. And it can certainly go back. I mean, even just in, you know, really specific things in our own lifetime. You know, I I was born in 1973, which is the year that 
um, women in this country were had it recognized as a matter of constitutional law that you couldn't force them to give birth against their will that you yeah. couldn't that you know and 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 now in 2023 here we are uh, i'm 50 and that right's gone so that that arc is bending that's true <laughs> but not, that's true you know and I, I even think just even more recently you know i i came out as a gay person when i was 17 so that was 1990 and it definitely felt like things were sort of bad and getting worse for a while. And then they got way better. And now they're getting way worse again in terms yeah. of LGBTQ rights. So it's it's certainly, you know, re regression is real. Um, reactionary politics is real and can be yeah. violent in terms of its backsnap. And we're in a we're in an era when on the right, we do we are living in an era of an ultra right reactionary um, moment, and you see that I think with Republican politics getting really crunchy and and non-functional, it's because the conservative movement and the Republican Party are trying to do things that you kind of can't really do through politics. Yeah. So, you know, we're we're in a we're in a tough moment. But you know, I mean, nobody's in previous in previous generations, people were beaten to death with canes on the floor of the United States Capitol. <laughs> like, yeah, we're not doing that. So, yeah, you know. hey, good job, guys. Yeah. No more cane beatings. No more bludgeonings on the floor. Sumner isn't here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Ashley's Memorial Day mattress sale is going on now. Save big on select adjustable mattress sets up to $1,200 on Beautyrest Black, up to $800 on Purple, and up to $500 on Tempur-Pedic. Plus, get 72-month special financing with select in-store mattress purchases made with your Ashley Advantage Synchrony credit card between May 14th and June 3rd. Visit your local Ashley store or ashley.com for better sleep and savings. Only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. No minimum purchase required. See store for details. Can't you tell my love's a grow? Somebody on the left can be absolutely sure that the stuff that they, the conclusions they've come to are right, that they are moral and decent and right. And then somebody on the right can have the exact same kind of feeling about all their beliefs. And in many cases, they're diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. um, so we all get some kind of moral laundry list that is comfortable to us and that we end up kind of living out throughout our life. And I'm wondering if you've ever thought about or if you have an idea of where yours comes from. Hmm. That's an interesting way to put it. Um, I mean, I feel like the thing that I have learned as I've gotten older and as I've sort of made my share of mistakes yeah. is that um, to, be, to be less sure of myself is yeah. to 
but trust my instincts, but also, uh, like like Ronald Reagan said, trust them, but verify them. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah. your instincts come from the wrong place. And, you know, ego can drive you to a lot of um, – to a lot of bad behavior. And so to sort of, you know, check your self-centeredness, I think, is something that I'm still trying to get better at. Um, and to recognize, like, I'm only seeing this from one perspective. There are other perspectives to see this from. And whatever seems simple to me about another person, almost by definition, is going to be proven wrong once I recognize the complexity of that person. Yeah. And so I think that's part of why in my work I'm so interested in the far right. Um, because I really want to understand it. I really want, I mean, I'm, I'm really for democracy and really against fascism and really against authoritarianism. And I want to understand my fellow Americans, you know, bright, thoughtful, faithful, um, uh, uh, Americans connected to other people through family and, 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 and loving ties who really felt like, and, and who made now really feel like we should get rid of this democracy thing and instead have a strong man leader. Like I yeah. want to, I want to get that. I want to understand it um, and understand what their friendships and their networks are like. And yes, it, I'm doing it because I don't agree with it, but I am trying to understand it. Yeah, especially when I thought we all under we all agreed, like yeah. democracy's good. I thought we all just agreed on that. Even you know, right, left, we all agreed democracy. Oh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, it, you know, we do different things with it. You know, we have different methodologies that we wield democracy with, but we still agree on the democracy part. And we agree on that, like Russia invading Ukraine, <laughs> like that kind of imperialism that like, like that's bad. Right. And also it's Russia. Right. <laughs> and that isn't to say that like Russia needs to be demonized, but it's like saying, well, the mafia, you know, there's, there's not a new mafia. Like the mafia, they're still thieves. And when you say Russia, you're talking about, especially now, a criminal operation, you know? But also Dostoevsky and also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, you no, know, and, I know. And also, oh, I know that. But, but you know, but I'm, I'm talking yeah. about, I'm not talking about the Russian people. Yeah. I'm talking, <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the, the Russian behavior powers, the behavior as a, the power structure, the, the powers that be in Russia. You know, there was this moment when Russia wasn't it looked like Russia was going to evolve in a way that was going to make them not that. And in fact, in the very early days of Putin taking over in Russia, there was a lot of hope in the West that he was going to be the guy who kind of made Russia a normal country. I remember that hope. Yeah. And and there was this idea that I mean it was it was not a joke that Russia might become part of NATO. Like yeah. wow, yeah, that would have been amazing. And Russia could have gone that way. And Russia does have incredible cultural legacy and incredibly, you know, brilliant resilient people um and they have this 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 cultural legacy in particular, scientific technological legacy, artistic legacy that is so much to be proud of. And then they just have these this garbage government um, and, uh, you know, actually one of my other books, my previous book blowout was in part about how part of the way they ended up with a garbage government is by deciding that the only economy they needed was oil and gas. Yeah. And that tends to give you a garbage government. <laughs> that was, that was part, that was part of the yeah. problem. But you sort of, you know, I'm, I, I feel like, um, like what you were saying, we all agree democracy is good, right? But what is democracy? Democracy is everybody gets a say. Okay, that seems good. That seems, you know, that I can hear yeah, the tiny violins. I'm on violin. board. Yeah, I hear sure. the tiny violins playing. But then <laughs> uh, the practicalities of it, 
Well, that means that everybody gets a say, including the bad people, including the people I really disagree with, yeah. including the people who I might believe are monstrous or depraved or somehow demonized. Or trying to replace me. Or, yes, yes. trying to replace me. I, I can, your tiki torch is, is good looking. Um, <laughs> and my Tommy Bahama look here. Yeah. <laughs> God, you guys all got the same khakis. We, That's yeah, so cool. Well, we, we got them. It was a deal. It was at the outlet mall. <laughs> um, so, the, I mean, that, I, again, like I try to problematize my assumption that we all like democracy. And I try to understand how a person would come to believe they don't want it. And yeah. it is about thinking, well, it's nice in theory for everybody to have a say, but I don't, I, it, it would probably be better if only I had a say. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I could do a better job with this. And, and it in would, particular, yeah. And if we're talking about the common good, me being in charge of things is really the best way for the common Because com, for I common know good. what's best for yes, everybody. Yes, yes. That instinct is a human instinct that we yes. have all had in large and small ways. I mean, you and I happens mean, all over the map. Yes, you know it happens when you are ordering at a restaurant for a large table and the waiter can't hear everybody. I'm like, you know what? You're actually just going to have the chicken, okay? I'll take care of it. <laughs> like, yeah, because a- <laughs> you people cannot come to a conclusion. Let me just—I'll get the apps. Let me do exactly. it. <laughs> Those little human instincts that we all can relate to and that we all have experienced in some ways in our lives, extrapolate that to our larger political problems, um, extrapolate that to the people who you perceive as your enemies or are bad countries in the world and try to get where they are coming from, yeah. as if even if it's only to better combat them so that they yeah. don't win. Because something that has always occurred to me about the particular kind of ape that we are is that uh, we really are suckers for corruption. Like, it doesn't matter. And, you know, when you talk about a Russia that was completely dependent upon oil and gas and how that was a crappy government, it's because of corruption. It's because corruption is, you know, it it's it's the smell of petroleum. Is It, it entices one into corruption. And what are we going to do about that as a species? As, you know, I mean, because even in this, you know, light, whatever, the, 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 town upon the hill, you know, the shining light in the darkness, we are very corrupt. You know, if there's a pocket to be lined, you know, we're either holding the pocket open or shoving something into it. What do we do? What do we do? Honestly, you you prosecute and lock up people who are corrupt. I mean, I really think that's the I really think that's the key. That's why you need independent law enforcement to be protected from political pressure and intimidation. I mean, at a fundamental level, like one of yeah. the most basic reasons for that is so people in power will be prosecuted and will fear being prosecuted and will fear the consequences of being caught out for corruption. Because otherwise, like you say, the incentive, the lure to line your own pockets, to take bribes, to um, to to be on the take and use and 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 you know make profit from your power from your political power is too great. The only contra- the only way to contradict it is to is to fight it with legal force. And so, all of the stuff that's going on right now with the fights over the FBI and the Justice Department and weirdly all of the Republican candidates in the Republican presidential primary contest right now all saying. Oh yeah, I'm going to get rid of the independence of the Justice Department. Oh no, 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 no. Like that's that's a that's a fundamental thing that we 
need because corruption needs to be criminally prosecuted and there's no substitute for it. I mean, you yeah. also need people to expose it. You need good journalism, right? You need crusaders. You need good government groups and all those things. But it just has to be not worth going to prison. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I kind of am inspired by the simplistic truth of that when you look around the world at different opposition parties who are fighting authoritarian leaders and authoritarian governments and trying to bring democracy back, they all all the opposition groups always put anti-corruption right up at the top. Yeah. And even though it kind of seems like a, a first world problem for a country that's, you know, lost its parliament or lost, no longer has elections or something, they know opposition groups all over the world and opposition leaders all over the world know that corruption is at the the heart of it. Yeah. It's a cancer that will eventually erode, you know, all the good that's supposed to be being done by whatever the government is. There's this one. Can I tell you a little a little fascism story? Of course. <laughs> oh, tiny one. My goodness. Let me curl up with with a, with my <laughs> whoopee. <laughs> <laughs> it's fascist story time with Waitrose. Oh. oh. So in um, the 30s, 1934, there was a governor in North Dakota who was totally corrupt. Yeah. And he was demanding, actually, essentially, that state workers give him kickbacks all over the state. And he got prosecuted for it. A federal prosecutor came in, prosecuted for it, found guilty, sentenced to prison. He said, in response to being prosecuted, you know what? I do not recognize the authority of the court. I do not recognize this conviction or the sentence as applying <laughs> to me. I hereby declare, A, martial law in the state of North Dakota, and B, that North Dakota is seceding from the United States wow. because these corrupt whatever they are are coming in here and trying to tell me to go to the Crowbar Hotel. Well, screw you. And his followers stormed into the streets of the Capitol with guns and you know, the lieutenant, he had been thrown out of office by because of the the, the corruption finding, because of the, the the verdict in his criminal trial. The lieutenant governor was nominally the head of the state government, but this guy's mob of armed supporters stormed the lieutenant governor's hotel and said they were going to shoot him at dawn. It's absolutely crazy. That happened in 1934. Miraculously, it resolved with him just agreeing to leave office and nobody dying. Wow. But people made him such a hero for that. That was seen as a like heroic, tough guy thing to do that they elected him to the United States Senate in 1940. Wow. Um, and when he got to the got elected to the Senate in 1940, the Senate had to decide whether they were going to take him. They were like, well, he did declare martial law and try to secede. <laughs> and he was convicted on corruption charges and sentenced to federal prison. Are we going to take him? And they assigned this little, like, unit of senators to look into his fitness for office. And the, the senators that reviewed his fitness for office came back and they were like, unfit, cannot be seated, no way. And the whole Senate had to vote on whether or not to accept him. And his party lined up behind him and they sat him. Wow. And he became a United States senator. And he then plays a big role in my book because he ends up siding with the uh, Americans who are working with the Nazis and— wow. um, trying to get them not prosecuted. I didn't even know the Senate could say, uh-uh. You know, yeah, I, they I police was, it. I, yeah. was, that, was, there, was that a contingency or was that the first time that they'd had to kind of... No, there's been a few in the, yeah. in the history of the Senate where people were just deemed to be unfit to take their seat. 
It doesn't has doesn't happen often, but it's their prerogative because it, with a co-equal branch of government, there's nobody above them, right? So they have to right. police their themselves in terms of their own ethics. That's why they have the right to censure um, or to expel their own members as well. It's the sort of corollary to that. But the, the fact that that st- that guy started with a corruption problem, and then yeah. he goes on to okay, then we won't have the rule of law because the rule of law will stop me from being corrupt. And then okay, we will have authoritarian government by force rather than by <laughs> the rule of law and democracy. And then his party excuses him because it seems like cool tough guy stuff. Right, like that. In a nutshell, like that gets you. That gives you a portrait of kind of how all these things work together. And it's a it's a shame to me that he's a forgotten figure. He went on in the Senate to um, propose. Uh, repatriating all African-Americans to Africa. That was his next big idea Wow! Um, as a segregationist. So it, it, it's, um, I feel was like- he these... li- Was he ever found to be lining his pockets while in the Senate? Not that I know of. Oh. Not that I know of. I mean, it's- I you would think that would, that would eventually trip him up because it usually does, you know. Once that becomes your habit. Yeah. yeah. Once, yeah like I worked once and I got rich, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, in the Senate, it'd be interesting to know if he ever had any scandals like that. A bunch of senators like kind of made a habit of taking kickbacks from their staff, which is a really grody form of corruption, too, because it's not even just like you're fleecing the taxpayers. It's that you're fleecing the people you have to look in the eye every day. That's a really conniving, evil form of corruption. Yeah. The ones who are holding you up or keeping you afloat, you're Mm -hmm. going to. Writing your speeches and and picking up your coat. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, Paul Simon was on Howard Stern yesterday. Yeah, yesterday. And mm-hmm. he told the story that when he and Art Garfunkel went on American Bandstand when they were like 15, they were thrilled because the after minimum was like $212. Dick Clark made them sign that check over to him. What? Dick Clark made a regular habit out of taking the after fees from all the musical acts that were on his show. Personally. Putting Personally, it in his pocket. Sign it over to, and made them like here's a pen, sign it to pay to Dick Clark. He could have been a senator. I know. <laughs> and it really is like, and even Paul Simon was like, he was a nice guy, but he did do this. It's like, wow. That <laughs> is astonishing. When you Isn't think about what just what, Dick Clark, what he must have been making as yeah. the as the wow, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. He's man, this is a just, bad thing. People I, shouldn't do is. that stuff. Yeah. It is. And that, well, and that's, you know, like a lot of the, you know, I mean, in the strike that we're in right now, I've asked so often, and I'm even on social media, like, if you're trying to get people out of, uh, you know, like, out of the sort of like production line of your product, who's going to buy your product? Mm-hmm. If you're trying to make all industry humanless, what are the hu- humans need jobs in order to buy your stuff? And, and it's, Sort of the same thing, like, these people need to make a living in order to do your stuff. They're here for you, and you're going to, you know, well, we're of a higher moral cut, I think, is what we're saying. <laughs> it's this <laughs> fantasy that I have, you know, that I have only revenues, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wa- I'm going to fashion my company so that I have revenues but no payroll. Yeah. Like that's 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 great. I for one welcome our new robot overlords. I mean, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't yeah, it doesn't work if what you're marketing is is human genius, which yeah, is what yeah. the which is what the entertainment industry is doing. We're marketing human genius, marketing, packaging, distributing human genius. And if you take human genius out of it or try to make that something that's a, a that's a survival scale wage, 
um, you've ended up doing yourself out of your business, out of the core yeah. idea of what people come to you for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of, of of business, when you did you set out thinking that you would be a television journalist when you started out doing this? No, no. no? I I'm what, not. What, a, when I'm you not... started on this path, what did you think was going to be your future? I, I don't know where the path is. I haven't. I just, like, I just, I've, I've been off-roading for years. I've, I occasionally appear at a doorstep. How did I get here? I don't know. Yeah, not a planner. I don't know. Yeah. I would be curious. Did you have a plan? Did you no. know? No. no, I had a, I had an inkling early on that, and it was, and it was borne out. And that, I don't know whether that was just because it, it, was convenient that my theories were proven true, but I had the feeling that if you just remained open and continued to be in places in which you were feeling enriched and and you were feeling growth and with people that you liked, where stuff might happen, that it would happen and that eventually kind of things would would happen. Um, you know, I'm now 56 and I wish I, 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 you know, I, I, I wish like, oh, cause I mean, Conan has a theory that, that as you, that you're born into a stream and that the stream slows down as you get older. And in order to continue moving forward, you have to just work a lot harder when you're younger, you can just coast and you're moving forward, <laughs> but you get older and you have to like, keep pushing to move forward. And I wish I had a little more, uh, as we used to call it gumption uh you know to just do stuff on my own i'm i'm an improviser i yeah. i exist for a group to improvise in but no i always had that feeling and i saw people who att- whose whose goal was a thing or was a position or you know i don't mean a thing like you know a gold bar i mean like a position or a show or a particular level of showbiz and when they get it the engine that is making the move forward, get, gets get, go, go, go is still working, but they've, they're at their location, you know, yep, they yep. put, set the parking brake and still have the accelerator going. So mm-hmm. there's, you know, there's we smoke coming off the wheels that ends up, you know, enriching a therapist. Uh, <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, you know, to just kind of, cause I didn't, I didn't have any sort of, notion that I would, I mean, I didn't even, you know, the notion of being on a talk show wasn't even, I mean, I was a huge fan of David Letterman, but I never thought I would be on a talk show. I thought it'd be, you know, the neighbor on a sitcom or something. But I feel Uh, like part of your secret sauce is like, um, a sort of generosity of spirit. Like you're a, you're a, you are a donor of good vibes. You are a, you, 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 um, you're not it's not like it's not flattery it's not like you come in and make people feel good about themselves it's not it but you create an environment in which people feel um comfortable welcome um calm um because you you. yeah but i think that's that's a gift and so that to me that makes sense when you say that you wanted to put yourself in environments where you felt like you were being enriched and there were good things happening and then something might happen i think in those environments you were an important ingredient because you have a way of making conversation happen and making and drawing people out and making people feel good about themselves in a way that makes the next time those people get together and want to do something, they want you in the room too. Yeah. Um, 
So that's it's uh, it's not you're not a passive part of those environments that you were wanting to be in, oh, which is nice. You. Yeah, you're thank still you. doing that. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, and I, and I, I, I mean, I'm very uh, grateful, and it's such a nice thing to hear you say that. But it, but there's also I'm like, yeah, that's what I'm that's what I'm trying to do. You know, that's I mean, I'm yeah, I do, I do think, you know, like just be nice. You know, as you go through life, if you want things to run smoothly and also if you're going to even be like shallow and just want to get stuff out of people, you can do that so much easier if you're nice to them, yes. you know, and, and if the people niceness will want is, you around. Yeah. Yes. Also, when you are kind to people, um, you encourage the best in people yes. when you are when you are not kind to people, you may be able to get some bit of work out of them or some rise out of them that you find entertaining in the moment. But you're causing people to shut down, get mad, get defensive. And that doesn't produce the best in people. And so you never yeah. see what they most have to offer. And especially when when I've sent somebody trying to do that to me, that it makes me uh, uh, like a cartoon thermometer pop, you know, mm -hmm. just like just like, uh don't try and manipulate me because it just makes me mad. And then I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Yeah, exactly. Totally empathize with the not planning thing, too. I mean, that's exactly. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That improvising thing, what you were saying, that's exactly how I feel about it. And I never used that word to describe how I got where I am. But improvising is right. You, yeah. just, you do a thing and then see where it goes and yep. try to do work that you're proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 we're getting near the end here, but you mentioned it at the top and I wanted to ask about uh, fishing and oh, just yeah. like because. I love fishing. I don't do it enough, but I've always, I've all, and I don't understand why I love it so much because I have a terrible attention problems and <laughs> there's so many things that I become bored. I mean, like it's supposedly like, I remember when the first, the first and only time I ever water skied, I got up on the first go. So oh. which everyone's like, oh, hooray. Yeah. And then, and I stayed up. And after a few minutes, I realized I'm being pulled around by a boat, you know, like, <laughs> like it just, I felt like, is, what is that? What is there to this? And I never did it again because I just, I was like, ah, that's not for me, you know? And so there's even exciting things that are boring to me, but I can look at a string in the water that has the implicit promise of a monster coming up <laughs> all day long. And I don't know why. And I'm wondering if that's because I have a feeling like I think you can focus well, but I think you also probably need stimulus. Mm -hmm. You know? Yes. So how do you, I mean, what is it about fishing that that matters to you? Like why it, why you love it so much? It's good. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. What you're saying, I'm realizing I was driving um, from the grocery store yesterday and the like community center in the town next to us, which is not like a liberal town. Like I live way out in rural Western Massachusetts and it's pretty conservative out here. And sure. the, the community center had a sign out in front of the town hall that said meditation 101 Tuesdays at 630 p.m. And I was like, Nobody in this town meditates. What do you mean? <laughs> I was realizing like, oh, that's hey, that's really obnoxious of me to think that. But it's just sure. because I, I, I can't meditate. I, I, no, I can't. I, can't. I need there to be a thing. And the thing that I love about fishing, I've been fishing for years now and I've never gotten any better. I never improve. Um, <laughs> because I find it very difficult. And it's just difficult enough that I can't think about anything else other than fishing. 
Yeah. And so I try all different kinds of fishing, saltwater fishing, freshwater, fly, ice fishing, you know, all the different. I'm willing to do everything. I have no. Internet um, fishing. Internet <laughs> sure, catfishing. Yeah, all the all the fishing. Yeah, I do. I spearfish people at big companies all the time. I get the passwords. It's a thrill. Oh, it's hilarious. Um, but I don't. It's just enough that it's stimulating. It's hard. I'm not very good at it. Anything could happen at any moment in terms of a fish stumbling upon what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it and it it's it clears my mind in a way that I find just really really therapeutic. So yeah. I'm sure I should probably just go to therapy. I should I should go to Meditation 101 at the community <laughs> center. Uh, but instead, I, I just go out to the, uh, I just get in my little one-person rowboat and tangle my propeller in my fly line. So many of those things, you know, so many of our pastimes, I just am convinced are just a vacation from ourselves. Mm-hmm. Just a give me, give me something that I, where I just am not thinking about this you know, this carcass uh, and the brain floating around in it, you know, for just a few minutes, maybe a half yep. hour, maybe mm-hmm. half a day, you know, so. And you have like the, like the preparation is exciting. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like I've got to get my fishing pole and my yeah. bobber and my night crawlers or whatever yes. it is. Like even the, the fact that even that part of it feels like part of the fun tells you that you're right. That it yeah. is about having a different type of, having a different type of life for a little while. Right. And pretty little, like pretty little lures that are, you know, like gorgeous and incredibly lifelike, but also be careful because they could hurt you. You know, (laughs) that's a good analogy. Yeah, yeah, it sure is. Have you ever been ice fishing? I have not ever been ice fishing. I've been pretty much all the other kinds. If Um, you have, if you ever want to go, it is super fun. And I would happily take you in Massachusetts. Come if you're here like in in January or February is when it's best. All right. I would absolutely love to do it. Even if we just go for an hour, it's I it's very super much might take you up on that. And what are you okay. catching? Trout? Anything. It's that thing. You're staring at a hole, not knowing what yeah, can come yeah. up. It's you know, panfish, bass, pickerel, you can get pike, which can be very big, trout, Those are delicious. I mean, all sorts yeah. of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, yeah. I like to eat what I catch. I don't want to just harass the fish for for no reason, you know. Oh, like I'm I, har- not- I, har- I harass it and put it back. I'm a bad person. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I you know, I feel like if I'm going to go to the trouble of like pulling you up from the depths, you're going to be protein. That just that's I'm going to kill you. Is the yes, other way to think and I yeah. and it well, and also too, it feels like <laughs> such a part of a natural process that's been going on for as long as we've been upright, if not before. So. Yeah. Well, Rachel, yeah. thank you so much for taking this time with me. It's really, you, you made my morning. It's really been fun. I really like talking to you. Thank you. Thank you. And everybody go out and get that book, Prequel. Is it out yet? I can't, I know I should know. They told October me. October 17th. October 17th. And it is real. I haven't, I'm not done yet. I just got started, um, but I'm definitely going to finish it. And it's a, it's a great read so far. It's, it's what'd you say? It's sexy, sexy, scary, sexy, scary. You I'm know? gonna put that as the blurb yeah. on the sec on the second printing. Andy Richter, sexy, scary. sexy, scary, like okay. you know, like a, a knee high leather boot, <laughs> sexy, scary. <laughs> so, <All right>. thanks, Andy. <laughs> bye, bye, Rachel. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. The Three Questions with Andy Richter is a Team Coco production. It is produced by Sean Doherty and engineered by Rich Garcia. Additional engineering support by Eduardo Perez and Joanna Samuel. Executive produced by Nick Liao, Adam Sachs, and Jeff Ross. Talent booking by Paula Davis, Gina Batista, with assistance from Maddie Ogden. Research by Alyssa Grawl. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to The Three Questions with Andy Richter wherever you get your podcasts. 
And do you have a favorite question you always like to ask people? Let us know in the review section. Can't you tell my love's a-growing? Can't you feel it ain't showing? Oh, you must be a-knowing. I've got a big, big love. This has been a Team Coco production. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Three great words. Free Fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bottom up, up, up. Bell one time on Fridays at participating McDonald's through 1231 24. Excludes tax, must opt in rewards.